uh, the book of Acts, I, I, thought, I thought that the challenge was going to be uh, the, the uh, first week when I was talking about the time period between the Old and New Testament, but uh, I'll be honest with you, the book of Acts has been a real challenge because there's so much, and you notice here on this, uh, just, just as visual aid, where we are, we started between those, we covered the four gospel records, and of course there's really one gospel, and tonight we're in the book of Acts, and of course next week then we'll launch into the, the epistles written to the churches, beginning with the one to the church in Rome, and the book of Romans we call it. So tonight we're looking at the book of Acts. So if you see the header there, as we get into this, I love this thought. It's the book of the continuing Christ. The book of the continuing Christ. It's also known as the book of Christian action. Uh, boy, if you're like us, a lot of us guys, we love things that have a lot of action in them. The book of Acts is full of action. Even if you look at the words, uh, there are action verbs and all types of things going on. And when you say the book of continuing Christ, understand, and we'll look at this tonight, that Jesus, yes, had ascended back to be with the Father, which is at the beginning of this book. But even though he's gone, his work continues. And we'll share a little bit, bit of that with you. Now, I wanted to read something that I found years ago, and I, I just love the thought of this as we get into this study tonight. So maybe you can just listen. There's no slide for this. But somebody said this about the book of Acts. It, it, when you think about it, it's called Acts or the Acts, or sometimes it's referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. Now, no one can study this book without being stirred and disturbed. Stirred because the reader is seeing Christianity in action for the first time in human history. You have to remember, this was the first century and Jesus established the church as we know it in the first century. So he says here that this was Christianity in action for the first time. The newborn church, having neither money nor influence nor power, is setting forth joyfully and courageously to win the pagan world to Christ. The church is a body, listen to this, of ordinary, not specialized, ordinary Men and women joined in an unconquerable fellowship never before seen on this earth. You, yet you cannot help not only being uh, stirred, but also disturbed because, again, when you look at the church, it was, I believe, what the church was meant to be. The church in the book of Acts is vigorous. The church is flexible. These were the days before the church became fat, and short of breath through prosperity. These men did not make acts of faith. They believed. They did not say their prayers. They really prayed. They were, uh, if they were uncomplicated and naive, and by the way, that's the way many people viewed them, but if they were uncomplicated and naive by modern standards, they were open on the Godward side in a way that is almost unknown today. But when you think about it, I, I think about this often. Is our church a church that pleases the Lord? I don't know if you ever think about that. A lot of people have various ideas of what a church should be. I have people all the time 
who, you know, I think in the right spirit, they, they, they like to make a suggestion, Pastor, we ought to do this, or Pastor, why don't we do that? And I, and I get that. And, and I'll be honest with you, uh, there are some things that we do that maybe you cannot necessarily find it in the Word of God, but everything we do, I usually, as a measuring stick, I usually say to myself, would this please the Lord? Would God be honored with this song, with this the way we do the Lord's table, the way we're baptizing, and on and on and on. Now, clearly some things you find in the Word of God, but I want to be a church that is a church that's pleasing the Lord, a church that, listen, the Lord would be welcome if He came in here. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of, and I really believe that, that I am. So notice a couple things as we get into this, that the book of Acts is not a record of the Acts of the Apostles. Now, it's many times referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, but really when you look at it, it's really just the Acts of only two of the Apostles, and the first one is Peter and the second one is Paul. Now, you find when you study the Word of God in the book of Acts uh, from about chapter 1, and I hope many of you did your reading, I finished my last four chapters today. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, especially if you're at home, but I'm hoping you're reading through. It's a good exercise. And so at the end of the, the evening tonight, I'm going to challenge you to read through the book of Romans next week. Now, Romans only has 16 chapters, all right? So less chapters uh, per day for the week. But when you look at these two individuals, Peter and Paul, of course, when you study the book of Acts, from about the beginning of it, chapter 1 to about chapter 12, that's where you see some of the acts, some of the things that Peter was involved in. And then when you get to chapter 13, from there to the end of the, really the end of the book, you find some of the activity of the Apostle Paul. Now, John is also mentioned, he's mentioned three times, but when he is mentioned, he's only mentioned as a co-worker of Peter. And so it doesn't really uh, talk about anything in particular that he himself did. James is referred to in the book of Acts, but really he's only referred to because of his martyrdom because he was put to death in the book of Acts. None of the other apostles, the other eight, none of, no, no acts of those eight apostles are mentioned in the book of Acts. And so again, when you look at it, even though it's referred to as the acts of the apostles, it's really only two of them that it's dealing with. Now the book is a continuation of the acts of Jesus Christ. And he, again, if he ascended, here's how. By the Holy Spirit of God, through human instruments. So you, you think about this. Yes, that is true in the book of Acts, but the same is true today. God wants to use you and God wants to use me to accomplish his will and his purpose. So I, I think about many in our church that God uses. He uses them to sing in the choir. He uses them to teach a Sunday school class. He uses them to do the sound room and the media that we have, and he uses them for the nursery. And there's all kinds of things, ushering and on and on and on. Well, the same thing was true in the book of Acts. There was uh, the means that God was using is through his Holy Spirit, through human instrumentation. Now, what I love about this book, and I didn't put this in the notes, it's just something that I guess I thought of, but if you want to jot it down, when I read through the book of Acts many years ago, and it just stuck with me, have you ever noticed when you're reading through, I, I believe if I counted correctly, there's uh, three times where the Bible uses this phrase, people of that way. 
And then twice, at least, it, it refers to people of this way. Now, if you know anything, and I know a lot of people don't really like grammar, but I guess I'm just uh, weird, but, but this and that are demonstrative pronouns. Uh, they, they point. So you have this and that, and these and those are the plurals. So when the Bible in the book of Acts says people of this way and people of that way, by the way, those of you that are here, any of you ever notice that in your Bible, this way, that way? No, not many hands. I don't even know if a hand's going up, but now you got homework. Go look and see if you can find it. Now, you say, what are you talking about? When the Bible is referring to people of this way and that way, think about a verse, John 14, 6. Do you know the verse? Jesus said, I am the way. Now, he also said, I'm the truth and the life. But when Jesus said, I am the way, it's the word hadas. Now, when you, when you think about it, the way, it, it oftentimes could, could really constitute a road or a direction. But think about what Jesus is to us, what he is to this world. Jesus is the way to heaven, right? And so the word hadas, now you know what's interesting when you go find, and I hope some of you go look, but when you see those phrases, people of this way and people of that way, the word way, when it's used, it's the same word. It's the word hadas. So when, when the Bible recognizes people of this way or people of that way, it's referring to Christians. It's, it's talking about people that are following Christ, people of that way. I hope you get that because I'll tell you, every time I see that, I love that thought because, listen, if we are Christians, think about this. The word Christian means to be like Christ. So hopefully when people, people that know us at work, at home, our relatives, whoever it may be, our neighbors, I hope they know we are people of this way or people of that way. And that way is Jesus Christ. And uh, again, I, I just that's stuff that I, I like. I get, I get excited about it, but maybe it didn't excite you, but it excited me, all right? So, so let's move on to contents, all right? Because that went over like a lead balloon, all right? So the, the book of Acts is a most excellent and useful work giving in detail the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. Now, if you go back to Joel, the book of Joel in the Old Testament, here's what you'll find is Joel actually prophesied in the Old Testament about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God on all flesh. Now, let me just stop here and help you understand. Maybe you haven't noticed this, but if you, if you study the Old Testament, here's what you find from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit of God was not in a permanent indwelling presence. In other words, you'll find where the Holy Spirit of God came upon somebody in the Old Testament and they did something that was supernatural, okay? You'll see quite a few instances where the Holy Spirit helped somebody to do something, but again, the Holy Spirit did not live in them it was a different time period. Now, what's interesting is when you get to the book of Acts, because you go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, think of who was with them in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Jesus. Jesus is God. So as long as Jesus was here, there really wasn't a need for the Holy Spirit of God yet. But when Jesus ascended, well, when did he ascend? The beginning of the book of Acts. Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. 
So he says to them, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. Remember what we said on Sunday? It is expedient for you. It's in your best interest that I go away. Because think about this. Jesus is God, and God is omnipresent. God could be anywhere all at the same time. But think about this, because Jesus was God in the flesh. That means as a man, he could only be in one place at a time. Now, God, he could be anywhere. But the Holy Spirit of God, when Jesus went up, the Holy Spirit came down, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So it's important that you see this. Now, uh, Joel's prophecy is in Joel chapter number 2, if you want to write the reference down. But I'm going to refer to, because we're in the book of Acts tonight, Joel 2 verse 28. And here's what you'll find in Joel 2 28. If you look at the screen, notice these verses out of Acts chapter 2, what the Bible says in verse 14 down through verse number 17. Look at what it says. But Peter, this is the day of Pentecost. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice... And he said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken. Remember, they were speaking with tongues. People misunderstand when it's talking about tongues. It's talking about glossa, languages, glossary. He says, These are not drunken. They thought that they were drunk because they were speaking in tongues. He says, as you, that's why he says it's but the third hour of the day. In other words, people that drink, they don't get started that early in the day. Look at verse number 16. He says, but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And he says, and Joel said, and it shall come to pass in the last days. Now, isn't that interesting? The Bible makes reference to the day of Pentecost as part of the last days. And it says here that, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon, notice, all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Now, the word prophesy also can mean to teach or to declare the word of God, the truth of the word of God. And he says, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. So that was Joel's prophecy. Now, I won't spend a lot of time on this. I'm just giving you a lot to think about and go back and study and hopefully you saw some of this when you were reading through the book of Acts. But here's what you find is that on the day of Pentecost, you see the Holy Spirit poured out. Now, again, God, he came to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So uh, the Jews struggle with the fact that, that God's Spirit came upon them. And here's what you find is, is that, remember, there was a group of people known as the Samaritans. Samaritans were half-breed Jews. So later in the book of Acts, beyond the day of Pentecost, you see that there's a time period where the Holy Spirit of God is then poured out upon the Samaritans as they receive Christ as their Savior. Then if you go a little further into the book of Acts, what you find is, remember Peter having that, that vision of the sheet let down from heaven, and Peter says, not so, Lord, I've never seen eaten anything common or is unclean. And God says, what God hath cleansed, call thou not common, and what God was doing was opening Peter's eyes to the fact that the Gentiles are included in the gospel. And so eventually what happens is that the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit of God. Now the book of Acts, this is important. The book of Acts is a transitional book. Because from that moment on, the time we're living in, that at the moment that a person trusts Christ as their Savior, 
the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence. He dwells in us. See, we're living beyond the book of Acts. It was a transitional period. They struggle with that. The Jews struggle with the Samaritans that they looked down on, that they received the Holy Ghost. And they, then they really struggled when the Gentiles, those dogs, received the Holy Spirit of God. So that's what Joel's prophecy. Joel in the Old Testament said, hey, look, my spirit is going to be poured out. That's what you see happening in the book of Acts. That's very important that we understand that. There are so many people today, uh, religions today, that teach that you can receive a second blessing and on and on and on. Folks, listen, let's just study the Bible. What does the Bible say, all right? And we need to understand this. So Joel's prophecy was dealt with. Notice as we move on, the book of Acts shows the first, look at this, planting of Christianity and Christian churches. Now these churches that were planted, they were planted among the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, I'll give you an example here. The church in Corinth, we call that 1 Corinthians. Listen, this is, a, and I've studied this out. I really believe this is what was going on. When these people started getting saved, there were Jews that were getting saved, there were Gentiles getting saved. And part of what God allowed Paul to write to the church in Corinth Paul was writing to them, and if you read it, we're, gonna, we're almost there in a couple of weeks. I really believe when they came together to worship God, they were all saved. But here's what happened. All the Jews sat over there, and all the Gentiles sat over there, and no one sat between them. And Paul, Paul thought to himself, this ought not to be. I mean, after all, we're all saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. So when you, when you think about this, it's so important that we see that as you study the book, it is the planting of Christianity and Christian churches among the Jews and among the Gentiles. Now, the, the, the book covers the spread and the progress of the gospel in several parts of the world. Now, what is the gospel? It's the good news. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you a visual. Look at this map, and I want you to see if you can tell, even if you're at home, Hopefully it's visible on the screen, but notice here, you see there in Macedonia, the area known as Macedonia, you see Thessalonica, you see Corinth, notice you see Philippi, you see Ephesus, you see Colossae, Galatia, that area there in Asia Minor, uh, that, by the way, the area in Asia Minor in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, that's where those seven churches are all at, they're not on this particular map. But when you look at these and you see the city of Thessalonica, you see the city of Philippi, we can translate that into books in our Bible. The book of Philippians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, the book to the Galatians. Those are all, these were churches, folks, like Bible Baptist Church that were established. Here's the thought. In this time period, that's, that we study, and we call it the book of Acts. That's what's neat about this particular book is, remember, Paul took quite a few missionary journeys, and he traveled to all these parts of the known world at that time. Well, what did he do? He was witnessing to people. He was seeing people saved. He was then seeing churches established. And listen, I'm telling you, this is exactly what we are a part of today, is we have missionaries like Paul did going to various parts of the world with the gospel. People are getting saved. Churches are being established. Isn't that exciting to think that what Paul was doing, we're still a part of that today? 
And so I, I think that this is a great understanding of what this is, the, the progress of the gospel. Now listen, eventually, by the way, I miss Rome up there in the corner, the book that we're going to look at next week, the book of Romans. But eventually, listen, the gospel went across the ocean. Aren't you glad it came to America? <laughs> I'm glad that this is a Christian nation and we have the truth here. And so, again, I want you to see the establishment, the progress of the gospel. Now, notice the book of Acts shares the suffering of some apostles and how they endured that suffering, but they did it with patience and courage. Uh, you see many people, of course, uh, the, the Stephen in chapter 7. Uh, Stephen was martyred for the faith. He was stoned to death. I love that, how, how Stephen kneeled down, and, and it was like he saw the Lord, and, and he gave his life. James was martyred for the faith. Many were, were martyred in the book of Acts, and, and listen, they did it with patience. They did it with courage. The book of Acts highlights the sovereignty and the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Listen to these verses. I think you have them there, or you have them at home. Acts 13, look at verse number 2. And they ministered to the Lord, and look what it says here. As they ministered and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. That's a great verse. That's talking about the church in Antioch, which was a church that it was the church, first church to send missionaries out of their church. That's why, listen, I would not support a missionary that was not sent out from a church because that's God's way. People say, well, pastor, why do we do that? Because it's what the Bible teaches is that, listen, just like I have a pastor and a missionary should have a pastor, should have a church that they are connected to because all of us need that, that in our lives. And so we see that pattern here where the Holy Ghost said, separate me out of this church, Barnabas and Saul, for the work that the Holy Spirit called them to. So Paul and Barnabas were not mama sent. They were called by the Holy Spirit of God. Notice another thing that we see about the church in the book of Acts is frequently it's revealed as a growing organism. Now, I really believe this is what God has designed for the church, is that the church would always be growing. Listen, God's not happy when any Christian gets to the place where they stop growing. We ought to be growing until the day we meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, in the latter part of his life, he said these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I've not yet apprehended. He was saying, I'm not there yet. <laughs> you know. And listen, if I think of somebody like Paul that, that felt like, listen, I need to remain teachable, then I think all of us need to continue to study the Word of God. And that's what we're trying to do here on Wednesday nights. But think about the growth of the church. Look at these verses, Acts 2.47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Acts 4.4, howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. That's a pretty good day in church, 5,000 people, you know, added to the church role. Uh, Acts chapter 6 and verse number 1, the Bible says, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, multiplication, boy, that's, that's adding members a lot, lot quicker at a greater capacity the Bible says in Acts 9.31, the churches had rest throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Notice these words, were multiplied. That was right after uh, Saul, of course, had been gloriously saved in Acts chapter number 9. And, and of course, listen, 
act, uh, when you think about Paul's role as Saul of Tarsus, he was persecuting Christians. Well, when he got saved, when he became a, a, a member on the winning side and he started preaching for the Lord Jesus Christ, a lot of people struggle with that because they thought, listen, he's just doing this to, to trick us so that he could then uh, lock us up in prison or take our lives. They, they claim that, that, that Saul was probably, you, that there was over probably 2,000 people that lost their lives as martyrs because of Saul's vehemence for the church, for the things of God, and praise the Lord for his salvation. It's, by the way, Paul's testimony of his salvation is recorded three times in the book of Acts alone, and God used that testimony uh, many, many times. Now, notice the book has a universal outlook, and the reason I say universal is, look at this, in the book you'll find 39 different cities mentioned, 30 different countries there are some provinces that are mentioned and even islands referred to in the book of Acts. And here's what's interesting is all of that that you see there in the universal outlook, most of them are actually located outside the land of Israel. So it's kind of interesting how many places you saw that map. All of those places where churches were established was nowhere near the land of Israel. And so there's a universal outlook to the book of Acts. Notice the book of Acts we have what is known as the Great Commission that was given by the Lord in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. And that Great Commission is put into practice. Now, what is the Great Commission given there in Matthew 28? Go ye into all the world, and we are to go, win, baptize, and teach. Well, what are we doing at Bible Baptist Church? We are going, we are trying to witness to people, and those that get saved, we're, we're, we're trying to get them to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And then, of course, we're trying to disciple them. We're trying to teach them uh, the things of God. So, again, we're just following the biblical pattern, which is known as the great commission that, that the Lord gave to the church. The book of Acts, we have the disciples of Jesus preaching everywhere. And by doing this, preaching everywhere, what were they doing? They were really fulfilling Scripture. The Bible records back in Mark 16 and verse 20, they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following, amen. So think about this. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then here's what he says to us in the Great Commission. Go ye therefore. Now the, the reference there is, is that with the power that he was given from on high, that we, as his ambassadors, we can go with the same power that he had when he was on this earth. And that's why I love that phrase there in Mark 16, 20, the Lord working with them. That's why when we go out, listen, we go in the power of the Holy Spirit. God is helping us to be a witness. Now, notice we also see, and this is exciting, in the book of Acts, the truth of the second coming of Christ is actually confirmed in the book of Acts. A lot of times people say, well, is the Lord coming back? Well, the Bible tells us, look in Acts 1 there in your notes, Acts 1, verse 10 and 11. The Bible says that while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, notice, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, he says, they said, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, not another Jesus, He's not going to send somebody else. The Bible says the same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come 
in like manner or the way he went, he's going to come back. And the Bible says, as ye have seen him go into heaven. Boy, that's exciting. They were told, listen, don't worry. The Lord will come back. This is clear evidence of the second coming of Christ. Now, here's what's exciting. If you cross-reference that back to the Old Testament book of Zechariah, and look what Zechariah 14.4 says, and this was telling us about what was said in Acts 1. Notice, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave or split in the midst thereof toward the east, toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove towards the north and half of it toward the south. So here's, here's if I'm looking at the scriptures correctly, Zechariah said that Jesus, of course, in the book of Acts, when he ascended, he ascended from where? The Mount of Olives. And Zechariah said in the Old Testament, hey, listen, we don't have to wonder where the Lord's going to come back. According to Zechariah's prophecy, he's going to come right back to that very same place, and he's going to set his feet down upon the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says here that it will split in the midst, and there will be a very great valley. Boy, that's exciting, thinking about that. Again, it's just confirmation from God's word that the Lord is coming back someday. Now, listen, we already know that his first coming was his birth. And, of course, the rapture is not the second coming. The second coming takes place after what is known as the time of tribulation, all right? Because the Lord's not coming back to the earth at the rapture. The Bible says we will meet him in the air is what it says. And so keep all of, all of your eschatology straight and you'll be fine there. Now look, at, here's four words that if you remember these four words when you, when you study or read through the book of Acts, these four words, they're a pattern that you see repeated over and over and over again. Here they are. The first word is power. The second word is preaching. The third word is persecution. And the fourth word is progress. Now you think about those four words there, all right? Here's what you'll see is that in the book of Acts that God's power is evident. People are getting saved. Lives are being changed. The, the prison that Peter was in, the doors were opened and Peter walked out. I mean, listen, the power of God and the Holy Spirit of God, it's evident, folks, time and time again. But watch this, after a, an outpouring of the power of God, you follow that along with the preaching of the Word of God. You see people standing like Peter on the day of Pentecost and the Word of God being preached. And the Word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Well, when the preaching goes out, what happens? People either accept it or they reject it. That's where the persecution comes in. People, time and time and time again in the book of Acts, they were not happy. Paul, if you read the last couple chapters today, in the book of Acts, here's what you find is Paul was preaching to Jews and they did not like what he was preaching. Paul was saying, look, he said to Agrippa and to Festus, hey, listen, you know what I'm saying to you and you know that it's true. What was he referring to? The Old Testament, that all these things that he was preaching, that they are true and Paul was bearing witness and that's why the persecution... That's why so many Christians were being killed and martyred for their faith. That's why Paul was locked up in prison because of his preaching. And then watch this, that when the persecution comes along, and, and by the way, we're going through a time period right now in our history where it just seems like 
Now, by the way, I don't think in America we really understand Christian persecution like they do in certain parts of the world. But you know what always follows persecution? Progress. Because you see people just continuing to be faithful, God being faithful to them. And what happens is, is you see progress. Well, then what do you see after progress? Power. Then the preaching. Then the persecution. Then the progress. Do you get it? It's an ongoing secular pattern that you see in the book of Acts. And read through it, folks. I'm telling you, you see this over and over and over again. All right? Well, notice as we move on, of course, as you look at the book, if you've read it like I did, there's 28 chapters, 1,007 words in the book of Acts, 24,250 words. And listen, remember, every word is God's words. And so it's all given by inspiration of God, and it's all profitable. The character of the book of Acts, it's a historical book. It covers the history of the church, covers the history of the apostles in the first century. It's a great historical co coverage of, of that time period in our, in our history as Christians, much like the first four books of the New Testament. The subject, as you, as you read and study the book of Acts, here's what you find is, it's what Jesus continues to do and to teach by the Holy Spirit through believers since his ascension. So the Bible starts, it starts out that way. When you begin, look at verse number one of Acts, the former treaties which I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So this is a continuation of the, of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Notice in your notes there, John 14, when you think about he's, he's continuing this by the Spirit through believers, John 14, 12. Verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, Jesus said, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Isn't that interesting that Jesus said that, that we would have an opportunity to do greater works than he did while he was here? Look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. The Bible says, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. This was right before Jesus ascended. But he told them to wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water. That's a reference to John the Baptist. But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. In other words, it's going to happen. And that was the very next, if we call it, chapter in our Bible. That's Acts chapter number 2, the day of Pentecost. And he says, and ye shall receive power. Where's that power from? The Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon them, and the Holy Spirit, notice he says, ye shall be witnesses. When, you, when they receive the power, they would be witnesses unto him, both or at the same time, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So when you look at the subject of the book of Acts, it is what Jesus began, yes, but it's what he's continuing to do, what he's continuing to teach. Well, how is he doing that? Through the Holy Spirit of God and through the believers since the time he ascended back to the Father. The purpose of the book of Acts is to give us today, and of course those before us and those after us, God's purpose, God's plan, and God's power for us as believers during this dispensation. So, it, the word dispensation, it's a Bible word, it just means this, this time period, this age that we are living in, 
So look, as we study the book of Acts, what do we find? We find out what God's plan is. What does God want us to do as a church? What's God's purpose? And, and we see what God's power is. So look at these verses in Acts 26, verse 16. And boy, these help us. It says, but rise, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. And here it is. Here's what God wants us to do. He wants thee to be a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. And he says to Paul, and really to us, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Now that was, that was the marching orders that God gave to Paul, but the reality is that's what God wants still to this day for every one of us as, as believers is to help people to turn from the darkness to the light, to turn from Satan to the Lord, and we have just as much responsibility, we call that the Great Commission, to go, win, baptize, and teach. So notice again, we see God's purpose, His plan, and His power for every believer during this present time. Now I love the outline, it's short, but it's very precise, and I want you to look at it. We see first of all, in the first seven chapters, witnessing that took place in Jerusalem. And that's where you see the church as being established. And of course, it's talking about the church in Jerusalem. At that particular time, the church in Jerusalem was really the hub of Bible Christianity. When you get to chapter 8 through chapter 12, you see the very next section, which would be them witnessing now in Judea, the area known as Judea, and in the place known as Samaria. Now, isn't that interesting? Because remember, Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. And remember, even his disciples, that they were like, Lord, you really want to go through Samaria? But listen, God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So here you see the church is being expanded. It's no longer just in Jerusalem. When you get to chapters 8 through 12, you see the church being expanded. And then the last part of the outline is the witness now to the uttermost part of the earth. And that's chapters 13 through chapters 28. Now, remember the map that I put up earlier? That's the part of the uttermost part. That Listen, we, we think about today, we have 62 missionaries. And, and honestly, think about it. There are people still that do not know the gospel. They're still not saved. And in Paul's day, listen, Paul went as many places as he could. And I read this statement again today. Paul said this. He said, I am free from the blood of all men. That's an amazing statement. That means that everywhere Paul went, he witnessed to people. So when you look at that outline again, I love this. The church established, the church expanded, and then watch this, the church exploded. What I mean by that is more and more and more people were being saved. And uh, you think about that outline. Look at this verse, and I, I've been quoting it, but that outline goes right with Acts 1.8. And look at the verse there. The Bible says, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, here's the outline. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Acts 1 through 7, and in all Judea and in Samaria, that's Acts 8 through 12, and then unto the uttermost part of the earth, that's Acts 13 through 28. So that verse right there really helps us to understand the outline for the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts covers a period of 33 years. Now, boy, this is interesting. I, I wrote all this down today, but 
Think about this. It started in about 30 A.D., and it goes from 30 A.D. to 63 A.D. Now, just to give you an idea, listen to this, because a lot of times when we're reading through the book of Acts, we don't realize this, but in, in 52 A.D. was when 1 Thessalonians was written. In 53 A.D. was 2 Thessalonians written. We call that 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Uh, 1 Corinthians was written in 57 A.D. Galatians was written in 57 A.D. Uh, 2 Corinthians was written in 58 A.D. The book of Romans was written in 58 A.D. Paul wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon in 62 A.D. when he was imprisoned. Those four books in our Bible are oftentimes known as the prison epistles. Paul was in jail. He wasn't sitting there going, oh, God hates me. No, he says, hey, bring the parchments, bring my pen, and he's writing books that we now call books of our Bible. These books were written, and then you also have Paul, many believe, wrote the book of Hebrews in, in 63 A.D. Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy in 63 A.D., and Paul wrote to Titus in 63 A.D. Now think about that. Next time you read through the book of Acts, all of that was written. Those books in our Bible were all written in this 33-year time frame, and it's important for us to understand that because the book of Acts is so important when it comes to church history and the establishment of what we still practice today. 33 years. Now, the writer is Luke. And, of course, you find if you go back to Luke's gospel and the book of Acts, you see a lot of the same terminology. You see a lot of things that are very similar. I gave you a little uh, a note here. Luke chapter 1, verse number 3. Look what the Bible says. He writes there, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. Now remember, we talked about that name, Theophilus, when we went through Luke's gospel. That's what he said in Luke 3. If you go to Acts 1.1, you find he writes, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So you really see, and I was telling one of our, our members earlier, uh, and I, I'm not going to include it tonight, but, but there, there are some passages that are, they often refer to as the W-E, the we passages, where Luke, the physician, traveled with Paul. And it gives you internal evidence that Luke was the writer to the book of Acts, and you can see a lot of the same things. Now, who did he write it to? Just right here, these two verses, Theophilus. Now, the word Theophilus, lover of God, now many people believe that maybe this individual was a high-ranking official in the government, and I don't dispute that. Uh, I, I really believe that he, he, by his very name and by what is said about him that maybe he was a lover of God. But a lot of people really do believe that it also includes all those that were believers in Christ, lovers of God, and that's who the book was written to and intended to be written to. Now, when was it written and where? I just mentioned a minute ago about 63 A.D., and this particular book was uh, probably written in Rome when Paul was there. And, of course, he was under house arrest and so on. The key chapter in the book of uh, Acts is chapter 2. And I've made reference to this. This is the great chapter of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Joel had mentioned. And you see that uh, there in your notes. The key verse, I've, we've already quoted it a couple times. Acts chapter 1 
in verse number 8. That's the key verse there. And if you look at that verse, right in it gives us the key word, and it is the word witness. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. You think about this. God saved you, and he left you here. Why didn't God just take you home? Because he left you here to be what? A witness of him, to tell people about uh, his love and that they can have eternal life. Now, the key phrase is the promise of the Father. I love this because it goes back to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. Look what he said in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. He says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. He's talking about the Holy Spirit was going to come. And in Acts 1 and verse number 4, he says, Being assembled, that's where he told them to wait, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait, here it is again, for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. So the promise of the Father was what? The sending of the Holy Spirit of, of, of God. And that's what Jesus said. He says, I'm going away and the Holy Spirit will come to you. The key thoughts, there's two of them that I, I felt like were important. One you find in Acts 5.29, and that is that we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, folks, listen, don't go out of here and say, my pastor said that I can, that I can break the speed limit because, because God says it's okay. The king's business requires haste, all right? Don't say that, all right? But I will tell you this, that there may come a day, and it may be sooner than you think, where the government will try to infringe upon our religious liberties. And when that happens, you may be faced with this decision, am I going to obey God or am I going to obey man? Now, that's where you find in the book of Acts, that's where persecution many times came in because they obeyed God. Uh, you think about how Peter and John, they were, they were beaten and, and they were told, don't you go preaching this Jesus. We don't want anybody to hear about Jesus. And when they released them, what did they do? They went right back into the temple and started preaching Jesus. And listen, folks, I'm going to tell you that we need to understand it is important that we obey God rather than men. You see that in Acts 5.29. And then the other key thought is let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You know what that means? If you're a Christian, tell somebody. If you love the Lord, tell somebody. The Bible says here in Acts 4.20, I love this, we cannot, this is what Peter and John said, we cannot but speak. In other words, we don't have anything else to say. We're not talking sports. We're not talking the weather. He's, they said, we cannot help but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Well, what are the things they saw and heard? All about Jesus. And it goes back to Psalm 107, verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And that's what Peter and John were doing. That's what you and I need to do, is to say that we are a Christian. Spiritual thought that we find in the book of Acts goes back to Acts 1.8, and it is this matter of power coming upon us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Acts 5.32, ye are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. So again, listen, without, without God, without the Holy Spirit, we're powerless. So you and I, we need God's power every day of our lives, and that's the spiritual thought. And then the last thing we see is how is Christ seen in the book of Acts? And I love this. He is seen as our ascended Lord. Jesus isn't in some grave, in some tomb. His body isn't still laying there. His bones haven't decayed. 
Listen, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is our ascended Lord. And you see that in the first two verses in the book of Acts. Go back, look at it here. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Look at the phrase, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So when listen, when you and I, when we look at the book of Acts, you're going to become convinced that there is someone, capital S, there is someone at work besides human beings. There's no doubt. Perhaps because of their simplicity or maybe the, the individuals in the book of Acts, their readiness to believe or to obey, to give, to suffer, and if, even if they had to die, the Spirit of God found what I believe He is still seeking today, and that is a fellowship of men and women that are united in love and faith, that he can work in them, and that God by his spirit can work through them, and, and he can do it with, with a minimum of hindrance. In other words, listen, whenever I stand here behind this sacred desk, I want to get out of the way. I don't want to hinder God's work. I I've told Brother Kenny, when it comes to leading songs or whatever it may be, listen, if God wants something, then, then we ought to be willing to say, listen, Lord, whatever you want, and allow God's Spirit. Somebody said it this way, never before has any small body of ordinary people so moved the world that their enemies, not their friends, not the Lord, their enemies could say with tears of rage in their eyes that these men have turned the world upside down. That's what the Bible says in Acts 17 and verse number 6. They were people that had... Now, that doesn't mean... They tore up the world. That means they made a difference. They influenced people for the cause of Christ. When I think of our church in this city and, and in this part of our country, may it be said of us, maybe even by our enemies, that we are a people, a people of God that are turning the world that is set on uh, the things of the flesh and the things of, of human instead of the things of God that will turn the world upside down. I was reading and studying, I won't get into it, but I love the thought uh, from Sunday night about how the, the Lord is the one that refreshes us, the Lord is the one that restores our soul, and, it, and it, it, it's all about turning us from where we are as believers, and we want to be this, this, these kind of believers, so there you go, I, we, we got through those three pages, isn't that amazing? Yours was three pages, mine was four, all right? But we did a great job. Next week, we're going to cover the book of Romans. And uh, listen, I hope, I hope tonight, not just because I said it, but because we saw it from the Word of God, I hope some of you learned something tonight. And I hope you go back to the book of Acts and go, wow, I never saw that. I didn't understand what the promise of the Father was. I didn't really get the whole outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. And I didn't get it how God poured it out really, uh, as you take a look, even in, in almost like three waves and how the Holy Spirit now comes upon each one of us. So we'll get beyond the book of Acts, moving into the book of Romans. And again, I mentioned earlier, 16 chapters. So if you read two or three chapters a day, You'll have your 16 chapters in. You'll be ready for the book of Romans as we get into it next week. And I think it's going to be a great, great study. And so I'm looking forward to that. So don't, don't forget now, we're just going through this. Encourage other people to stay with it. If you know somebody that would like uh, to study an overview of the Bible, let them know about it. And then, of course, don't forget about Sunday, our services. 
And uh, we have Sunday school at 9.30 for quite a few classes. And of course, this 